0: Father summoned me to a meeting, sat in front of him, you know, waiting for the congratulations, and he broke the news to me that he was firing me forthwith, and I, the car keys <laughs> back. And I was like, well, why, why, what have I done? He said, no, you've done a fantastic job, and I've done my job, you, yeah. you know, you're done. That's excellent.
1: Success Is In The Mind is proud to have partnered with and be supported by the Great British Entrepreneur Awards and Community, a programme that recognises, celebrates, supports, encourages, and champions entrepreneurs in Great Britain. Hello and welcome to Success Is In The Mind. I'm Oliver Bruce and if you're new to the show, we'll be discussing with current owner entrepreneurs about their failures, mistakes, passion and persistence in the face of business adversity. Not all entrepreneurs, however, have completed their vision just yet. Some are just starting out and I want to give you a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism. So what does it take to become successful, to grow a brand or to start a business? Join me to hear from those that are currently doing just that. As always, you can reach the team and I via the website bizpodcast.co.uk, that is with a Z, or tweet me at Bruce underscore biz. In today's episode, we speak to lifetime entrepreneur Richard Loden. Having forged a career in the automotive world from a very young age, Richard and his team now oversee the operations for over 400 franchisees globally, heading up one of the largest eco-friendly car rental brands in the world. In an industry that relies so heavily on travel, at the height of the pandemic this year, Richard had some 50,000 vehicles sitting idle. Ladies and gentlemen, put your seatbelts on as this is a good one. Welcome, Richard Lowden. Richard, thanks for coming on. You sort of started in the world of automotive back in what the late 80s, early 90s, working for thrifty car rental, but you then obviously went in to start your own business. Before we get into all of that, what was your kind of early childhood and sort of upbringing like?
0: Uh, well, going back a few years, but uh, the uh, I was actually born in a place called Stoke-on-Trent, uh, which is in the, uh, the Midlands here in the United Kingdom and uh, had a very inspirational father, which uh, was probably the the, the major driving force that got me into business. So I grew up in a a sort of very, at the time, high-flying environment. Uh, My father was uh, the concurrent uh, chairman or. Uh, managing director of a uh, circa 13 PLCs at the time and what led us to Stoke-on-Trent was that he had the job of uh, recovering a China manufacturing uh, business called Spode uh, which became Royal Worcester Spode in its later years so that's probably where I, I sort of got the entrepreneurial uh, desire and drive from um, uh, many many years ago uh, uh, right now but uh, that's where it, where it stems from. So
1: you, you, your dad was obviously a high flyer working for a PLC. You went through what, college and university? Or did you come straight out of college and go straight into business?
0: I once again was very fortunate that my uh, my father put me through private education. I was in Brighton. I, the, the family moved uh, down to the Sussex coast. And uh, I was in a, a, a very small uh, but uh, a very good private college in Brighton. And my father thought it would be useful that I got used to interviews and uh, went through that whole process with one of his companies. I sort of went in with an alias, um, uh, so they didn't know that uh, I was the, the chairman's son. <laughs> and uh, went through uh, a number of interviews, and uh, to his shock and horror, I was actually offered the job. <laughs> uh, so I think he uh, took a big deep breath and said, "What do you think?" And I said, "Well, I haven't finished education." He said, "Well, you know, you could do that, and you know, and, and start this job if you want." Uh, and that's what I did. So uh, I fast-tracked my way through my A-levels and uh, took the the job with one of his companies.
1: And what was your alias then that you went in with?
0: Uh, It was uh, a version of uh, Loudon. It was uh, uh, Lou Doon, uh, which was a a Scottish take on it, apparently.
1: (laughs) You, You worked for your dad briefly. He was chairman. That must have been a bit odd, granted. But at what point did you jump ship and go then to Thrifty Car Rental?
0: Uh, well, it was quite interesting because um, uh, the actual company I started to work at uh, while my father was the the, the chairman of the, of the business, uh, he had very little to do with the day-to-day running and I think I probably saw him inside the business maybe two or three times over the sort of the 18 months I was there. My father then got an opportunity to uh, go into uh, a, a company that was a sort of a, a rescue of a, a business that uh, manufactured uh, vehicles like first-line ambulances, call vans, hopper buses and things like that. And he approached me and said, look, you know, you've got, you've got a good grounding now. Would you want to join me in this venture? And, you know, I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, joined that business as a, a sort of sales and marketing capacity. Cut my teeth in terms of uh, business development, branding. you yeah, know, worked very hard within that business. To a point that um, I came into the business one day, we'd achieved you know a substantial increase in the order book. Father summoned me to a meeting, and uh, sat in front of him, you know, waiting for the congratulations. You know, maybe a bonus. I wasn't entirely sure at that point. Uh, and he broke the news to me that he was firing me forthwith, and, asked what the car keys back. <laughs> and I was like, w- 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 why, what have I done? He said, no, you've done a fantastic job, and, and I've done my job, you-, you know, you're done.
1: That's excellent. Uh,
0: uh, out into the free world. So that was on a Thursday. Uh, on the Friday, I, I flicked through the, the local paper. I saw some jobs advertised, and on the Monday I went for a job at a recruitment agency. Mm-hmm. Interviewed for the job, which was uh, selling and developing uh, chemicals for the the printing industry, which I had absolutely no knowledge or understanding of.
1: <laughs> and still don't.
0: And still don't. Uh, that, that that came out during the interview that uh, I didn't know anything about it. And uh, I received a phone call from the recruitment agency saying, "Look, I interviewed so well, but not for the uh, the area of business that they were." recruiting for, but would I like to come and work for them? so uh, i said why not and uh, that was on a i think it was a, a sh- it was a tuesday and on the wednesday i started working for them having absolutely no knowledge of the recruitment sector at all um, <laughs> went to work for them for a small uh, period of time it's going to be sort of uh, early 90s and uh, it was uh, straight into a recessionary market recruitment company i worked for um uh, had a major airline contract but it was a, a temporary contract so they were funding the payroll And uh, unfortunately, I was in in the business one day and there was a knock on the door and there was bailiffs standing there. And my boss at the time uh, wasn't in the business, phoned him up and I said, look, you know, there's bailiffs at the door. You know, what do you do? Don't let them in. I said, too late. They're in. You know, there was no way of stopping them. And he disappeared off the call. Uh, I negotiated with the bailiffs. I said, look, you know, just leave me with something. And they left me with a desk, a chair, and a filing cabinet, and a telephone. And you know, back in the day, you know, there was no internet. There was no, you know, as long as you had a telephone and a, uh, a desk and a chair, you were good to go. And they went off with absolutely everything else. And uh, we carried, well, I carried on the business. Unfortunately, the exposure to my, uh, the owner of the business was so substantial, he couldn't survive it. Right. And with his blessing, he um, gave me the, uh, essentially, the client database and the candidate database. Uh, And I continued the business under another name for another two and a half years.
1: That's incredible. So at what point then did you literally open it up and go, right, I'm going to start selling to these people. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Or was it just because you had no other option, no other route to go down that you decided to do that?
0: Um, it was purely just a moment in time. You know, I I'd, I'd got quite used to the, uh, the sort of the particular uh, sector of market that I was uh, recruiting in, which was mainly accounting and sales. It was, a, it was you know, still a recessionary conditions. I just felt that uh, I would you know, give, it, give it my best shot. Ironically, another recruitment company saw what we were doing, saw that we'd made reasonably good ground in terms of repackaging how, how recruitment was sold and offered to buy the business. Uh, So at that point, I'd be sort of 21 22 i think it would be and uh, i agreed to you know to sell the you know the book of business and that was it literally went home that night i was uh, dating a, a girl whose father was the managing director of a, a brand called guy salmon uh, which became guy salmon alamo here in the united kingdom he was chatting to me over the dinner table and said um, what are you gonna do i said don't know we'll wait till next week and he said well you know i've got some friends basically got themselves involved with a U.S. car rental brand by the name of Thrifty. You know, they're recruiting, do you want me to put a word in? And, you know, that once again was done that day. Mm -hmm. Next day I found myself being interviewed and uh, the following week I joined a very sort of fledgling business here in the United Kingdom which was the, the beginnings of the Thrifty brand uh, landing the, in the UK. Because
1: you left Thrifty in, what, 93, age 22, to start, to start your business, essentially, which, which was called EuroDrive. Why did you kind of set it up as a franchise business at such a young age? How the hell did you even know what franchising was?
0: Uh, thrifty itself was a franchise or licensee model. And really, whether it be car rental or fast food or um, you know, any other uh, particular sector, franchising in itself is a unique skill set. And I think that what I did with with the earlier Thrifty, which is you know, not franchised here in the UK anymore, it's actually fully corporately owned as a, as a master franchise. But in those early days when it was a franchise, I saw how they got certain things very right, but I also saw how they got things incredibly wrong. What we decided to do, uh, which was unique and still is you know, unique in the, in the market space, is remain absolutely loyal to the concept of franchising and that is that the franchisor is there to service the needs of the franchisee and support the franchisee and there is no ulterior motive in terms of supporting their own corporate operations as a sort of you know aside. In terms of uh, the move away from, uh, from Thrifty, rightly or wrongly, I felt I could do a better job at franchising than they were doing in the UK at that particular time and the, an opportunity presented itself where I could actually you know, head in that direction and give it a go for myself. So came up with the name uh, EuroDrive. It was you know, very similar uh, copy or carbon copy of, of, of the thrifty model, but with that commitment that we would not be sidelined or sidetracked, in you know uh, diluting the support that the franchisee would uh, would need and require
1: because it clearly worked quite well because within a short period of time you were one of the top ten vehicle rental operators in in the UK but you'd expanded into what the Republic of Ireland the Middle East I suppose why did you kind of go from Europe and then all the way over to the Middle East why was that a natural transition
0: I'm don't, I don't, not so sure any of these are particularly natural transitions <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's opportunity that uh, that presents yes. itself but we really just you know, got the inquiry that came through and gave it a go and you know that really gave me my first taste of what rental looks like in different markets and uh you know you may imagine that you know renting a car is universal around the world well the practice of renting a car pretty much is but actually the mechanics of delivering the service uh, is very different in, in markets um, across the across the world.
1: Oh, okay, fine. And, and then you were in that for thirteen years. So you had the business for thirteen years. You exited, um, and I suppose you'd really grown it fairly substantially over that over that time. But I'm intrigued to see, uh, you know, the, the barriers that you came up against at the age of well, 22 onwards. Frankly, how did you kind of keep the motivation to keep going? Why didn't you just throw the towel in and go, "We're never going to do this. They're bigger than us. Frankly, I can't do it." How did you keep going?
0: Um, I think that um, certainly you know, it's a true entrepreneurial spirit that uh, you, you never believe that you, you can't succeed. I mean, that, I think it's key to, to many uh, uh, successful businesses. Uh, you never, you know, you, you stare uh, defeat in the, in the eyes almost every day, um, and uh, you, you take it on. And I think that you know, one of the biggest experiences in the learning is you, know, you, you can achieve you know, the amazing just by having that uh, determination that you can succeed.
1: Are you looking for a PR company that can evaluate your brand profile and execute effective communications? Well, and PR, who work with some of the largest brands in the fashion, field sports and luxury lifestyle sectors, can do exactly that. Developing long-term relationships is at the heart of the Bloxam ethos. Combining big thinking with big results, they simply never miss a trick, and they certainly didn't miss a trick, by partnering with us for Series 2. Check them out at blocksandpr.com. Thank you so much to everybody for all of your support this year and have a wonderful new year. But don't forget to join me on January the 6th, 2021, where we'll be releasing a podcast every Wednesday, starting with the UK's fastest growing eco-friendly micro-mobility business, Zwings, who specialise in the public rental of electric scooters. It's a bit like Boris Bikes, but more fun. Here's what you can expect. Yeah, I bought one scooter originally and just just fell in love with it. These scooters just offer maximum flexibility and convenience. And I knew a lot of people needed to have access to this, but a lot of people don't want to purchase uh, vehicles. They don't want to purchase many assets nowadays. It's all about the subscription or rental model. When you obviously came up with the, the concept for Green Motion, obviously the eco, or sort of being eco friendly was on the rise. It is huge right now. You were clearly ahead of the game there. How did you actually structure and start Green Motion? Obviously, you had 13 years' experience. Green Motion today is 13 years old, ironically. So, talk to me about that journey.
0: It was a, a lot more challenging than, uh, to be honest, I'd, I'd ever imagined. Um, I think that the, the first thing was uh, actually identifying. Uh, what you could deliver, or how you could deliver the USP of the business. Obviously, being a vehicle rental company, uh, you know, the majority of that that sort of inference starts with fleet. If you can sort of take you back to two thousand and five, and you sort of you know think, okay, what what green vehicles were available then? We had the Toyota Prius, and we had the Honda Civic Hybrid, and beyond that, there really wasn't very much to talk about. So my first port of call was to pay a visit to Toyota, knew them very well from, uh, from the Eurodrive sort of connection. And I said, look, I'm really interested in buying the, you know, the Prius. Can you do you know, similar deals that we do on you know, other, uh, other Toyota products? And they looked at me with shock and horror and uh, essentially said, it's very unlikely that we'll be able to offer you any discount on these vehicles principally due to the fact that they were losing money on every single one of them that was imported from japan <laughs> and we're talking incredibly low numbers i think you know back in the day you know we're talking less than 2000 prius a year were being uh, sold here in the uk you know not to give up i jumped to the car i went to see uh i went down to swindon uh, saw my colleagues at uh, Honda and had the same conversation with them, and uh, pretty much got the same reaction now the The Civic hybrid was built here in the u k actually in Swindon, however, it was you know not a vehicle that was once again selling through particularly well producing good operational margins and then, uh, you know, it you know, didn't lend itself to, to to our sector. So, you know, the, the, the dream was actually fairly short lived on the basis that within a matter of weeks of having the, you know, the conceptual idea of, of launching uh, a green car rental company, we couldn't have any, we didn't have any cars. And so one day I received a phone call from um, the fleet director at uh, Volkswagen, who said to me, look, um, you still, and I think his exact words were messing about with that green thing. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, it's slightly more than messing about, but yes, it's still it's still on the cards. And he said, well, I, I may have uh, you know, an opportunity for you. And at that point, uh, and this was the irony of it, uh, they introduced me to the Blue Motion range of vehicles, which were the, uh, the low CO2 uh, diesel derivatives that um, Volkswagen were focused on.
1: And and Green Motion, similarly obviously to EuroDrive, was a franchise, as you've alluded to, but it grew rapidly. I mean, you had 400 franchises in 40 different countries by essentially the end of of the scale. Now, is that going to continue to grow? Have you maxed it out? What does the market look like for you now?
0: Well, it, once again, it's pretty uh, interesting. The early days of Remotion were, were fraught with, with issues. the brand itself was launched in late 2007, and you know we, we, we enjoyed you know, great facilities for our bankers, great support from our vehicle financiers. Uh, and that was short-lived, I mean literally a matter of weeks into uh, to the business's um, launch, uh, I received an email from our, our bankers uh, saying that the overdraw facility that we uh, fortunately were not using at the time had been withdrawn forthwith. And a, a couple of weeks later, I received uh, a similar communication from our, our vehicle funders who had agreed to fund the first 300 Volkswagens coming onto the fleet. So we're talking, you know, a three straight four million pound credit line and the entire facility was removed at that point. And we just had no understanding or conception of what was going on. And this was before the words credit crunch or global credit crisis had emerged, but we were right at the forefront of that. So we'd launched a business that was highly reliant on bank finance, highly reliant on vehicle funding, Uh, only to see that that entire segment collapse before our eyes. And in 2012, we had an opportunity uh, to, in fact, actually go back slightly in 2010, uh, one of my colleagues in the office um, came to me and said, look, I've got an international franchise inquiry. I said, oh, that's interesting. And We weren't promoting international development at all. This was just completely ad hoc, uh, completely unsolicited. And uh, it was for Mexico. And I said, well, look, with the greatest respect, you know, we, we, we're still on with developing the United Kingdom. I think if we're gonna have any form of international growth, that should probably focus here in Europe, not Mexico, a market that I've no experience of. And said, look, you know, give us a call in you know, three or four years. Anyway, the next day she came in and uh, she said, look, this guy's been super persistent. I, t- I told him, we're, you know, we're not looking to expand in Mexico quite yet. He's desperate to speak to you. Uh, I caved and uh, I had that call. And gentleman was uh, slightly cagey on you know his business, but explained that you know they were interested in a, 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 a master country franchise. And I sort of said, okay, look, you know we've got no international experience. You know our systems have not been designed at this point to to operate outside the United Kingdom. But you're more than welcome to you know come over and visitors. We'll show you the operation. You can meet the team. We'll take it from there. To be honest, having no expectation that we'd hear from them again. The following day, got a phone call and the flights were booked and the entire family were en route the following week. So gave them the tour, met the team. Uh, during that that process, they divulged that they were the largest budget rent-a-car franchise in Mexico, currently operating uh, eight locations, or sorry, 11 locations actually, that they couldn't grow anymore because you know their neighbouring locations were either budget corporate locations or the franchise territories had been sold. So w- within the budget empire, they, they'd grown as far as they could. Their franchise group was up for renewal and they were gonna either go independent or they were gonna take on a, an international brand. Once again, I explained that this they would be the guinea pigs. you know, you'd you'd have to work with us on the on the getting the the systems uh uh, to work internationally. And I'm very pleased to say they agreed and we committed to the franchise. And, you know, f- fast forward to today, the you know, green motion in the Mexican market is the, is the fourth largest operator within, uh, within Mexico. So oh, clearly the right decision. But what that did, that was the catalyst for us to realize that, you know, actually what we had developed was very easily transposed into other markets and uh, we then sought the the sale of the uk franchise so at that point we were the the master franchise for the sub-franchise operations here in the united kingdom so we negotiated the sale of the uk and turned that in itself into a master franchise and what that allowed us to do was fully focused on international development
1: That's that's incredible. And that's amazing that the Mexicans are still very much with you and you're the fourth largest out there. But going back to the point that obviously the credit crunch, as we now know it, uh, happened, you had obviously that three million quid from, from VW. You'd been entrusted with actually quite a lot of credit, quite a lot of money. How did you actually, A, figure out where to go to get the money and B, where to actually spend the money? Because, you know, you were in your 20s, you had a business, you were kind of just figuring it out, really, when you got lumbered with all of this.
0: Um I, I think that uh, the first thing is that uh, we only had that money for a moment in time uh, it was removed very very quickly the business itself went into also almost a negative cash position we had to you know sell franchises in a very very difficult market and you're absolutely right that um you know vehicle supply was the bedrock of of being able to trade forward now where you know, we really sort of, I guess, once again, hit a little bit of gold, is that because of the credit crisis, our competitors were struggling to actually rent vehicles, the residual values of vehicles have plummeted. So they didn't really want to release the stock and and obviously liquidate it because it would have been a tremendous loss. So what I did, ironically, is I went to some of these competitors, Avis being one of them, and said, can I sub rent some of your cars, please? and they were delighted so ironically i managed to uh, fleet up uh, a new start rental business using competitors vehicles <laughs> so suddenly uh, you know avis were happy we were happy our franchisees were happy uh, and that's essentially how we got the business off the ground.
1: Well, I suppose it's dead stock that they need to, they need to I suppose, monetize. and that brings me perfectly on to the conversation we had, what, six, eight months ago at the top of the current pandemic. Realistically, it's been a bit like the, the credit crunch for some people, um, and you called me and you said you had 50,000 cars that were sat uh, across the globe, and frankly, they weren't doing much with them. I suppose, what did you do at that point? Did you do what you, Avis did to you and go, we need to sublet these, or how did you actually manage that? Because that was a huge, huge impact.
0: Yes, well, I mean, we um, once again very fortunate that uh, we we, due to the international uh, sort of footprint of our network, we had very very strong uh, um, operation in Italy. Now, as you may recall, as from a from a UK perspective, we as a European from a European uh, aspect saw the pandemic arrive in Italy first. So that was we had a very good indication. Uh, of how the, the general public reacted to the pandemic arriving in a particular country, and also what effects that had on the market. So using, you know, be it a matter of weeks, but having that learning uh, proved to be absolutely critical so we saw the the collapse in reservation volume uh, we saw the change in in consumer behavior and as a result of that we reacted and and informed the entire uh, grid motion network of the the key things that they needed to do now i'm sure nobody would agree there's a good time to have a pandemic but in the car rental sector you know the, the the business is very much seasonal so we looked at the uh, you know the timing and you know we sort of talking mid March when uh, President Trump made the announcement that the the US was closing its borders to Europe, and that really was the the, the the trigger point where you know pretty much European airspace ground to a halt you know almost overnight. But what we were able to do was in advance tell our franchisees if you have vehicles on order for your summer season, which typically is kicks off March, April, cancel that fleet order immediately. Now that, over the space of three or four weeks, we managed to remove about 19,000 vehicles that were destined to come into the fleet. So that was, that was absolutely critical. And then we focused on the next most expensive cost, which is typically real estate. A lot of our locations operate either internal at airports or very close to airports and very expensive real estate. So we worked with the franchise network to release the, you know, the, those cost burdens wherever possible, obtained uh, reductions or deferments in rent. And then the final piece of the jigsaw, unfortunately, is staffing. But once again, timing was critical. We're about to go into the, uh, the high season, and therefore a lot of staff that we'd normally carry for that sort of six to nine months at the tail end of the year, uh, we were able not to employ or engage with so actually because of the franchise model and the the agility of having you know 47 leaders of each master country franchise we were able to react very very quickly and really prepare ourselves for a a pandemic business Um, whereas a lot of our uh, competitors you know the larger rental operators they just didn't see it coming they weren't able to react as quickly and, and have suffered immeasurably as a result of that a
1: big part of your life actually has actually been serendipity, and I'm a massive believer in it, but actually you'd founded and co-founded a business called Move Me actually in 2019, and. Gone through a gone through a fund for about what ten million quid, but when the pandemic came around, MoveMe was in a prime position, you know, at the point that obviously things were starting to reopen, to, to actually implement its its service, which you you term as a as a mobile as a service uh, piece of software, a mass piece of software. Talk to me about the idea there, how you came up with essentially remote vehicle entry for rental.
0: I think that um, you know, for all of those that uh, uh, all those individuals that have um, rented a car. It's probably not one of those experiences that you uh, you look forward to. You know, in essence, we looked at you know why does why why do we as an industry put the customer through this ordeal? So we started to look at you know that that element of it, and that very much led us to the you know the the question: Are we able to onboard a customer without meeting them? We were able to deliver the ability for the customer to essentially do the entire rental experience virtually through the app more importantly once so you only ever register once with with the app itself and then literally choose book your vehicle on arrival at the destination the app guides you to the positioning of the car and when you're at the car you literally are given a digital key and that you know you could open the 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 vehicle with your phone and sure enough we had developed a, a full you know covid ready uh contactless service and yeah, the rest is history. We've been flat out now uh, you know, rolling this process or um, you know, onboarding uh, locations around the world uh, to offer the, uh, the contactless rental service.
1: You're clearly quite a busy man. I mean, you've got a couple of businesses now. You're funding, uh, obviously, this, this, this new startup, I suppose, you could call it for MoveMe. How do you manage your time? And how do you sort of focus on your franchisees, your staff, your startups, your investment, your portfolio? What does your day look like?
0: Insane is probably the uh, the best way to describe it. Um, I think that the the most important thing that uh, once again, you know, pretty much every entrepreneur gets to this point where they realise that you, know, you just can't do it by yourself. You have to surround yourself with talent that you know, can you know certainly support you where you're weak. And I think every entrepreneur will be willing to admit that they have weaknesses and things that they don't particularly like doing. It's also important to remain grounded. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it, most of us are not driven by money. We're driven by the creation, that we're driven by the success of what we've, create, what, what we've created. Uh, the money side of it often tends to be the byproduct of what we're doing.
1: Have you ever been sort of in a situation where you've just assumed your thoughts that you might lose it all? I mean, 2008 or even now, frankly, is are those, are those two?
0: I, I think that the, you have to be very aware of the trading conditions that you're faced with at that particular time. And I'm certainly one that I've never taken this thing lightly. You know, you have to understand how serious it is. You have to accept that very quickly, uh, and not and make sure you do not put your head in the sand. And then you start having to you know to plan and navigate yourself through this. So I think that the the biggest danger is always thinking, oh, it's not going to happen, or it's not going to be that bad. So certainly when when COVID hit, and uh, you know, as an industry, I was hearing, oh, this is a three month wonder. By June, it's all going to be fine, and. You know, I can assure you the business plans that we were writing in March, in April, in May, you know, the the minimum recovery period we had at that point was two years. The revisions of that are now three-year stroke four-year business plan. In some respects, I hate to be right, you know, that the sort of the long recovery is is what we uh, suggested it would look like, and that clearly seems to be the case right now.
1: How do you delegate these decisions to people? Because obviously your son, Che, is working very closely as CTO in in MoveMe. Are you planning on this being a sort of succession plan in as much as you're going to hand it all over to family? Or are you still wanting to, you know, to grow it further?
0: I think that uh, you know, I was very, very fortuitous uh, that, that Che uh, joined the business, and once again, it was a, uh, yeah, a happy coincidence that uh, he came in his, in his gap year uh, and uh, never left.
1: A bit like you and your dad, really, isn't it?
0: Absolutely, and that was by 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 no means was that by design. Uh, that was just uh, it was just a set of circumstances where he came into the business enjoyed the environment that um, he found himself in and and really did find his place. So, you know, in terms of succession plan, yeah, you know, absolutely. If, if if Che wanted to continue um, uh, and you know the, the developing the brand uh, as we have globally, uh, absolutely that would be something I would wholeheartedly support. But you know, you, you know never say never. You know, the the w- the work that we have done so far in building Green Motion, um, you know, we are you know certainly a top ten rental brand from a global perspective, but we're still strides away from, uh, yeah the size of some of the multinationals that are there. So we've got plenty of work to do uh, to uh, even fulfill um, our you know, aspirations to be fully international.
1: What did you learn from your dad that you'd pass on to Che and to other potential entrepreneurs?
0: I think you know, the, the, the die hard just do, you know, do not give up, um, you know, nothing is easy i mean you know none of if you listen to you know countless entrepreneurs uh, stories you know it's rare that anybody's just stumbled over that uh, a way to make a fortune you know there's the, the odd occasion in, in in life when that might happen but pretty much every business will face a challenge and you never get there i mean i think if you look at uh, certainly what's happening uh, within the travel sector if you look at the the trials and tribulation uh, richard Branson's faced over uh, uh, over the last uh, six to nine months, that just goes to show that, you know, the, the, it's very fragile. You know, it doesn't take much to change the, you know, the direction uh, of, of, of travel for any business. What
1: does success then look like? Because everyone would assume that, that Branson has been successful and he's made it and he can sit back and relax. But you're absolutely right. He nearly fell over six months ago. So to you, what does success look like?
0: Uh, it's very difficult to measure uh, yeah, I think you have success on a day um, you know you have uh, things that you're triumphs on on that particular day but you know for me you know success is, is the continued success of the, you know, of, of the brand and, 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 and of green motion that we're doing right now so you know the fact that we are right in, in, in the worst trading climate that I think that certainly the travel sector has ever faced in history is really sort of a pat on the back for the work that we've done as a business. But moreover, the work that the franchisees have done.
1: If you could do it all over again, would you or would you go somewhere else?
0: I think, you know, the, the, there's, there's certain times when I've been slightly more risk averse than uh, uh, perhaps I should have been. Uh, now, you could argue against the fact that I was risk averse. I'm still here.
1: Mm-hmm. When was that? What point was that?
0: Just a, a, a few times in the past when, uh, you know, there's been opportunity to perhaps take greater levels of inward uh, uh, investment. And, you know, I chose not to. Well, hindsight's a wonderful thing
1: though, right? I mean, everyone says
0: that. It absolutely is but you know there's no regrets i mean they are just you know slight subtle changes here and there
1: so raising money how do you do it how do you go about raising funds because actually a lot of people start out with nothing you you were lucky enough to have something but actually going and raising seed capital like you're doing for move me now is not an easy feat when you when you haven't got any experience obviously you guys have but what would you what would you recommend to somebody who simply has an idea and they need some money
0: I think that the going back to the various experiences I've had, pretty much every experience I've had, we, we genuinely had nothing. Uh, and I think having nothing is a great place to start because it makes you hungry. Uh, and it really does give you uh, that impetus to, you know, to you know, take on everything because you've got really nothing to lose that's the other you know, the, the, the other key aspect of it and you know when you get to any point where you need to see that business go you know, go to its next stage you, you really do have a choice whether you f- you focus on organic growth so it grows naturally or you seek external investment you know when it comes to green motion that's been very much organically grown so as it's gone through its development we didn't borrow any money to support the growth of that business it's it's a you know, it's a 100% being self funded. Now, with me to seize the opportunity, we said, okay, is this the one that we actually seek uh, external investment on? So um, the first thing you have to do is you have to have something that you can present. So an idea often isn't enough. You actually have to evident that idea. You have to you know, give uh, some notion that there is a demand for the product that you're developing.
1: Even if you've developed an MVP or something that just shows
0: what it might look like. It's tough. It's, I mean, certainly in the climate that we're facing right now, trying to um, develop off the back of something that actually hasn't found itself in the wild is, is, a, is, a, is a tough, tough, Impossible. But it's a tough call. Funders like to see something that's scalable. You know, I think that's really what you've got to try and get yourself to is invest your own time, and your efforts. If you have your own money, certainly invest that. that you know, any any funder would want to know. You know, he, have you have you exhausted your own funding before you uh, you seek external investment, and really make sure that you've you've got the, you know, the focus on uh, you know what you're trying to achieve with that money because that yeah you know, they'll come to you and they'll say. You know, what are you spending my money? You know, why do you need a million, two million, three million, ten million? You know, what are you doing with it? And the, the other key aspect is that you will have a lot of doors closed on you. Uh, and the key is to keep opening the doors, keep pushing your way through, because eventually somebody somewhere will get it, and they'll understand it, they'll tr- have faith in you as an individual, as an entrepreneur, uh, and they'll want to you know, uh, you know, back your plan.
1: Persistence is key. Richard, thank you so much for, for joining me on the podcast. It's really enjoyable. You're a busy man, I should let you go. All the best and thanks again. Thank you. As I said earlier, have a wonderful new year and thank you so much for all the positive feedback and five-star reviews that you've been giving over the last couple of months. It may be my voice on the podcast, but it really is the team at Pinpoint Media that make this whole thing possible. Some quick housekeeping, in 2021, we'll be releasing a new podcast each Wednesday. This gives you twice as much content on a monthly basis, with episodes already scheduled and ready to air, you can expect from brands such as Kidoni, which is essentially an eBay for premium products, Audrey, which is one of the largest podcast collaboration platforms in the world, and Zwings, of course, the UK's fastest-growing micromobility business. Ladies and gentlemen, here's to 2021. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this week's podcast. If you enjoyed it as much as we did, we would really appreciate it if you could rate it, share it, and subscribe to it. To find out more about the guests featured on Success In The Mind, visit our website, bizpodcast.co.uk. That is with a Z, where you can apply to be on the show, check out the behind-the-scenes content, and keep up to date with what's coming up. Check out our Facebook page by visiting at Success is In The Mind pod, or follow me on Twitter at Oliver Bruce underscore biz. This podcast has been produced by the team at Pinpoint Media. To find out more, visit pinpoint-media.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening. Take care.